Uh, everyone, good to be here. Thanks for having me. I, uh, I came across in 2009 this article up on the screen with a very provocative title. Thank you, porn. 12 ways the sex trade has changed the web. And in this article, the author makes this point. The porn industry is an ecosystem in which participants are willing, indeed forced, to experiment and where experimentation isn't hobbled by common sense, good taste or bureaucracy. Goes on to list 12 different innovations, six of them good and six of them bad, that have been brought about as a result of the experimentation of this industry. And so on the positive side, we've got online payment systems, streaming content, live chat, 3G mobile broadband, traffic optimization, uh, and broadband more generally. Now on the negative side, goes on to list these points, spam, malware, pop-ups, browser hijacking, and this was 2009, so Paris Hilton got a mention. Now interestingly, if we look at that first list of those positive innovations, we see how much Christian ministry has made use of much of these developments online. So we use online payment systems to allow people to register for conferences like this one. We use 3G mobile services to access the Bible on our phone. Every and any possible translation downloaded onto our phone available for us to use. We use live chat to connect with people in our congregations, to uh, chat as we do sometimes at church on Skype with the people, our mission partners on the other side of the world. We stream video content from conferences in the US. Many of these good innovations the church has harnessed uh, for good. Now, not for one moment would I suggest that um, we need to thank the porn industry for these things. Uh, We know that everything good comes from God, and it's to him that we need to uh, give thanks. But when I read this article a couple of years ago, it really got me thinking, because the porn industry has spent a lot of time and energy and money considering how it can harness technology, and especially the internet, to spread the fame of sex throughout the world. That's its goal. It wants people hooked on on sex. It's an evil, evil industry, but that is its goal. It wants everyone to worship the God of sex. But how much consideration have Christians given to how technology, and especially the internet, can be used to honour the one true God and to spread his fame throughout the world. The sex industry thinks about this a lot. How much have Christians considered this? And so for the last four years, this is something that I've been giving consideration to. I finished up a job in Canberra in online marketing. I moved to Sydney to do MTS. I started on at Church by the Bridge and have continued on. And this passion has developed. And it's really a passion that has been consumed by these three words on the screen. I wonder how. I wonder how this online tool could be used to assist ministry and proclaim Jesus. I wonder how a member database could better help people become integrated into our churches. I wonder how Facebook 
could be harnessed to reach people who've never been to our church and invite them along to our carol service. I wonder how our church website could help unbelievers feel more comfortable about coming to church. I wonder how. Do you wonder these same questions? How technology might be harnessed for the glory of God? Uh, Whenever you talk about technology in a Christian context, um, at least in some circles, technology becomes a bit of a dirty word. Now, I suspect in a gathering like this, um, most of us don't have those same reservations. And I'm aware, I'm probably, you know, one of the only guys here who doesn't have a theology degree, Uh, and so a bit of a theological lightweight, but I wanted to share with you some of the, the things that drive me, my understanding of God and the gospel and how this feeds into my passion, and I hope your passion, for using technology for God's glory. First of all, technology at its best can serve as a means for loving people. You know, a website that is easy for people to navigate, to find the information that they're looking for, is a means of loving them. When it's difficult to use, that's not loving. When we have um, a a database um, that enables us to successfully introduce new people to our church and and the systems that we've created to help them become familiar with us and to build relationships, that's a means of loving them. Secondly, technology is a means of amplifying the gospel and magnifying Christ. The the tools that we have at our disposal today uh, give us phenomenal potential to proclaim the gospel. You know, with just one click on Facebook, a gospel presentation on, uh, can be distributed to your 500, 600, 700 friends for all of them to see. You know, all these people now in hard-to-reach nations or people who are illiterate and have never heard the gospel are hearing the gospel for the first time as audio versions of the Bible are being dropped into their communities. Social media provides huge potential for us to share the good news of Jesus with many, many people at any time of the day, anywhere in the world. Thirdly, technology at its best allows us to make best use of the time. You know, I'm just constantly reminded, and this is just really sitting heavy on my heart at the moment, that Jesus is coming back soon and yet so many people in our cities don't worship him as Lord. You know, as I was driving into work the other day, I was coming through North Sydney and there were just everyone was uh, kind of walking on their way to work. And I'm thinking, most of these people, you know, we've got what, 3% perhaps of people in churches in Sydney, most of these people don't give Jesus the worship that he's due. And we have a short time left. Jesus spoke frequently about the, the you know, being on about the master's business. He's coming back soon. We want to make best use of this time until he returns. And so technology enables, enables us to be more efficient in some areas so that we can be more effective in others, freeing up the time that we have so we're not spending three days a week preparing rosters, so we can be on about doing other types of ministry. Now, today I've been asked to share with you some thoughts on technology and ministry and how these two can be combined, and 
I'm, I'm really pleased to be able to do that. I'm certainly no expert, and look, a lot of what I've learned has come from just making a lot of mistakes um, and bumbling my way along. But if I can share some wisdom with you from those mistakes, it might save you from making them yourself. I'll talk to you about three topics. The first is, and look, Daniel picked up on this before, the importance of websites. Secondly, I want to talk about eight principles for using technology in ministry. And then I want to finish up by talking about, if I can get this out, 10 top tech tools uh, for doing ministry within the church. I, um, I've got a website where I write about technology and ministry and how the two combine. It's called Communicate Jesus. I'm going to put up all the links. I have already put up all the links that I'm mentioning today, plus a whole bunch of other resources up on that site. And you can check that out later on. So don't worry too much about kind of writing stuff down along the way. It'll all, all be up there afterwards. Let's talk websites. Put up your hand if someone has come to your church and told you, we visited your church website before we came and visited you in person. It happens all the time. Now put up your hand if someone didn't visit your church as a result of visiting your website. You're a brave man, hands. That's harder to judge, isn't it? We don't know how many people didn't actually come to church because they came to our website and for whatever reason, it was too confusing, it was too confronting, um, didn't provide the information they needed, and they never arrived. Now, visiting a website is, in our culture, the first action step for most of the activities that we do. You, know, you book a holiday... You go and do your research online. You buy a car. You do your research online. You're thinking about a restaurant to go and take your wife out to you. Well, if you meet, you go and do your research online. In our culture, so much of our research takes place on the internet. And Mark McCrindle and his research group has you know, recently did um, a whole bunch of new research into Australians and the Christian faith. And one of the things they discovered, not surprisingly is that Australians' most preferred method on gathering information on religion or spirituality was through an information-rich website. This is how Australians want, want to find out. This is their entry point to Christian things. So how would our church websites go at providing this information for these people? They want it. They'll look online for it. How are we serving them in this way? Kevin DeYoung, uh, the pastor in the US, makes this point. He says, your website is the front door of your church for many, many people. If you put a greeter at the front door of your physical church and line up ushers in a sanctuary and set up a hospitality center in the lobby and make sure all your signs are attractive and pointing in the right direction, surely you ought to take the same care with your church's website. His point is, your church, is the new, your church website is the new front door. Because if you don't get that front door right, you may not see anyone coming to your physical front door. So let me just offer three brief tips, and there's a whole lot more I've put online to kind of help you with this, but in terms of church websites. Um, the first point, and we might just go back to that previous slide, Mark, if that's all right, is avoid using outsider um, sorry, use outsider-friendly language. Uh, this is not just about avoiding Christian jargon, 
but about looking at the acronyms that so frequently populate our church websites. Now, this is for a big church in Sydney. 777 ATF Jackos in the Great Escape. What on earth does that mean? Now, the point is, this website and so many websites are built with the, the, where the primary focus is the person who knows about the church, who's familiar with the church. And I want to challenge you in all of your thinking about church websites to, con- to consider the primary audience of your church to be the outsider. There's lots of other ways people within your church can find out about what's going on. But you need to think about the outsider loving them by providing a website that is as easy as possible for them to navigate. And that includes avoiding any language that they might not be able to understand. And look, this is really... Don't, don't pretend to have got this right. This is hard. We've got to keep working at this. Secondly, make sure the most important information is easy to find. And again, this comes at thinking through what is it that people might be looking for. And maybe this is something that we could kind of wander down the street and chat to the guys in the local cafe and kind of say, hey, if you're visiting our church, what would you be looking for? What information would you require? Matt Perman oversees the web strategy for the Desiring God website. Great guy. He's got a great website, What's Best Next, where he talks about leadership and management in the Christian life. Um, He had a great presentation on um, how the gospel should impact your web strategy. He says that by making a website usable, and that's having the content that people need in a way that is easy for them to access... um, you're actually helping people to think about the content and not how to get there. It's about breaking down every confusing barrier that might exist to people finding out what they need to find out. And this is hard. It's not just about throwing something online, it's looking at it from their perspective. Matt Perman says a lot of churches think so much about the quality of the content, you know, the theological rigor. Is everything that we've written here theologically correct? But people may not ever get to that content if they can't find it, if it's not written in a way or presented in a way that's easy for people to find. They've got to be able to get there and they've got to be able to find the information that they might actually be looking for. So think about it. What information might an outsider, someone who is unfamiliar with your church, be interested in finding? Thirdly, keep the information updated. I did an audit of Sydney Anglican Church websites back in 2009. It was a pretty depressing exercise. Uh, because the websites were basically terrible. Uh, And none of them, very few of them, had been written with the outsider in mind. And so, so many of them hadn't been updated in months, some of them years. This website that you see on the screen, I blacked out. So there is actually text in the middle, but I thought, look, I should be gracious and not put the name of that church there. This website hasn't changed in five years. That top button... Our site is currently under construction. It's been under construction for five years. Basically, they've been lying to people for five years because it's not under construction. They've given people a promise, come back soon, there's going to be more content, and it's, it's never improved. They've given people a guarantee, and they haven't followed through on that. So I, my suggestion again to you is, when you create a website, before you even make that step of publishing and launching it into the big wide world, Find someone who is going to look after that content that you can put in charge of updating that content every week and say to them, send me an email every Monday morning asking me what needs to go up on the website this week. 
It'll take them half an hour to update it. And again, you'll be loving the people who come to your church by providing them with information that they're looking for and showing people that you care about current information. You care about serving them uh, with the details that they might be looking for. Okay, that's websites. Let's just go just to the next slide, Mark. This, This book is a cracker. You don't need to have any technical knowledge to enjoy it. It's a... It's a funny book. This guy's a genius. His name's Steve Krug. No um, relation, despite the similar surname. He, um, this book is like a textbook for understanding how to build a website that can be used by the people that you want to, um, want to use it. Uh, so I really recommend, before you do any kind of website stuff, get your hands on this book, and that'll really help you approach it from the right perspective. Again, on, on uh, my website, I've put up a whole bunch of links. It's really not hard to build a website anymore. Anyone, even with almost no technical expertise, can create a website. Uh, Clover Sites, Church Media, Church Themes are all these websites out of the US that have created a whole bunch of templates that actually look good that your church can use. You can find the links online. Secondly, let's take a look at some principles. Eight principles for using technology in the church. I've been thinking about this over the last four years and it's still kind of an ongoing project uh, basically collecting together all of the um, lessons that I've learned from stuffing up and doing things uh, poorly. But let me share with you some of these uh, things that I've discovered along the way. Firstly, start with the end in mind. Too often we choose kind of the technology, something that looks appealing or exciting or that we've heard that someone else is using, adopt it with all the costs of money and, and time that are required to set it up, And we don't think through how it's actually going to be adopted within our particular ministry context. So the big question isn't, what tool am I going to use? But what ministry end am I seeking to achieve? Only when you know the answer to that question should you start thinking about the tools that might be required. You know, I've seen churches, and this happens a lot in Sydney, sign up to these amazing, expensive member databases without having any idea how they're actually going to use them or implement them within their church. And a church planner came up to me at the Oxygen Conference earlier this year, and he's like, oh, I'm going to buy this system, buy this system. And I said, how are you going to use it? No idea. Like you need to think through how that system is going to be adopted within your context. And if you don't have that plan, you shouldn't be thinking about the tools. When I chose a member database for my church, I had a long list of things that we had to have, and a long list of the things that would be nice to have. And I made sure that what we, what we chose, it ticked off everything that we had to have and only a couple of things that we wanted to have. There were lots of other solutions that ticked off all of the nice-to-haves but didn't cover off all the needed-to-haves. So you write out a list of what it is that you need and what it is that you're trying to achieve and then find the solution to match. Secondly, good systems before good tools. Now this really ties back into that first point. You firstly need to identify the need, but secondly I've learnt you need to think through the systems or the processes about how that's going to work. Bill Gates said, the first rule of technology used in a business is that automation applied to an efficient operation will magnify the efficiency. The second rule is that automation applied to an inefficient operation will magnify the inefficiency. So you've got to work out what it is, the operation that you're trying to achieve, 
and then apply technology to that. And unless that system is in a good way, the technology will actually magnify the problems that you will experience. And the last thing that churches need is more inefficiencies. So the way that I want to encourage you to respond is to consider the systems that you have set up within your church. So, as I mentioned before, if you have a website, who is it that's going to maintain that? You can get an amazing website, but unless you have a system, a process for how that's going to be updated and how frequently it's going to be, um, the content will be revised, um, there's no point having that website. Likewise, you need to know the process within your church of how you will follow up that new person before you get some awesome new database that will kind of automate that process for you. Think through that system first. The, um, there's a guy called Nelson Searcy in, in the US. Um, he's written, he seems to just write a book every second month. He's written a book, a free ebook called um, Eight Systems for a Healthy Church. It's a great book. There's a link on the website. You can um, download it there. He lays out this, health, um, this great um, kind of illustration. It's on the next slide of how systems and people relate. You can got, you've got bad systems with bad people, you're out of business. But here's where I reckon churches often sit. We're in the bottom right corner. We've got good people, people who want to serve, who want to get involved in the, in the ministry, but we've got bad systems and that ultimately leads to frustration. So if we can combine good people that we have in our churches with good systems that have been set up to serve them and serve our ministries, we can be far more efficient in how we operate and ultimately, by God's grace, more effective. So I want to encourage you to think through these systems before you start adopting any tools, whatever that kind of technology might be, so that the technology is amplifying a good system and not a bad system. Thirdly, pick whatever tools and technology that you would like to use once you've done your research and then stop looking. I've wasted so much time kind of looking over the fence and seeing, you know, where the grass is greener and, uh, you know, I love kind of to-do lists and, you know, managing those kind of processes. I've probably looked at 20 different applications over the last couple of years. That's not a good use of my time. It's not a good use of your time. And apart from the time that we waste, it's frustrating for people within our ministry context when we uh, adopt systems constantly and then keep chopping and changing. You know, a new system to update the website, a new member database, a new rostering system. Do your research, pick a tool, review it every 12 months, but then don't spend all of your time every second week trying to find a new tool that might get the job done just a little bit better. Fourthly, you're only as fast as your slowest member. Now, this is, I guess, uh, a pretty common maxim, but uh, as we adopt technology within the church... There'll be some people who are very eager and there are some people who won't be very eager. Uh, We need to think through how we're going to train the people who need to use these tools and technologies because it won't advance anywhere if those people... um, So if the person who's managing your rosters doesn't want to use that tool, your rostering system will go nowhere. If the person that you've assigned to uh, keep the website content up to date doesn't want to do that or doesn't know how to do that, that's going nowhere. So your system will only be advanced and your technology and tools that you use within the ministry context will only be advanced as you train and teach people not only how to use them but why you're using them 
and I'm trying to ramp this up at my church, educate, educating people why we're using this technology, how we think it will help us as a church to do the ministry that we're doing. And if we don't do that, people won't catch on, they won't adopt it, and it will slow us down. Uh, fifth, be realistic about how the technology will be used. You know, this ties in with what I was saying earlier, but I've seen churches, you know, adopt these incredible member databases, and they have big dreams. You know, we're going to have everyone in the church, we're going to be online, we're going to be kind of chatting to each other all throughout the week, we're going to be sharing Bible study tips and sharing prayer points, and it doesn't happen. I'm yet to speak to a church, and I keep asking churches, where people have this vibrant online community where they're just loving and serving each other online during the week. It happens a little bit in America, I think, very different culture. I am yet to see an Australian church where that happens. And so we need to be realistic about how the tools that we have are going to be used. Because, well, realism is not as exciting as, a, as idealism, but it saves us uh, an awful lot of money um, and it lowers our expectations about what we're expecting from ourselves and from other people. You know, likewise, you could pay for an amazing you know, file server for your ministry you know, that uh, has all the bells and whistles possible for managing your files and sending your files and remotely accessing your files. But if it's not going to be used by anyone, you're just wasting your money. So work out in advance how it's going to be used, realistically. Not how you wish it would be used or how Microsoft would use it, but how in your context that technology is likely to be used. Uh, Sixth, we need to use technology to serve and not to avoid I mean, who's got, at the last minute, an SMS from someone, oh, not coming to Bible study tonight? You know, the kind of cheats way of escaping Bible study. Or the email, oh, stuck back late at work, won't, won't make it. Technology can provide for us a wall in which we hide behind rather than exist in strong relationships. Technology can serve to deepen relationships, but it can also shallow them out. There's this tool that I discovered a little while ago called Slidile. It allows you to speak directly to a person's voicemail. So even if their voicemail isn't on or if they're not on another call, you can jump straight to their voicemail if you actually don't want to talk to them. You know, so you can pretend like you tried to get through, but you actually jump straight into the voicemail, leaving a message, oh, sorry, I couldn't catch you, won't be coming to Bible study tonight, yeah, I've been held up at work. Saves the awkward conversation. I haven't, hey, I haven't used this. But this is you know, one of the ways that technology can be applied that's actually really kind of damaging for, for relationships. We need to make sure that we don't hide behind it, but use it as a, a tool and not a master. Uh, we need to, number seven, be careful not to exclude people. My church is primarily a younger bunch of people, and everyone just about is on email. So we can use some systems that are primarily on email, but that not, might not be the, the case for your church. As a church in Brisbane that's only online presence is Facebook, which is fine if you're on Facebook, but if you're not on Facebook, it's pretty difficult to connect with this particular church. So you need to think about, uh, are we excluding anyone by the tools and the technology that we're using? Now, I don't think this means, in my experience, there'll be some people who will always resist any change, no matter how well it's presented, and we shouldn't stop doing things as a result of someone kind of whinging. So I'm not going to let the cranky man drive the bus. We, so, someone said, you know, uh, this was even before our current rostering system, we were just using Excel spreadsheets, and he didn't like this at all. 
um, and said, uh, I just want to get a phone call every time the rosters are going out and kind of talk this through about what my involvement's going to be. Now, if you've got 100 and something people every week, you know, who are serving, and each phone call takes three minutes, that's 300 minutes a week just trying to kind of line up those services. It becomes impractical, you know, as you scale the church to do it that way. So we're not going to let everyone kind of customise their experience, but at the same time, I, don't want to, I want to make sure that if people have legitimate reasons for not using a particular medium, if someone doesn't want to be on Facebook, and there are plenty of good reasons not to be on Facebook, I'm going to make sure that there's other ways that they can get that information that aren't just on that medium. We've got to be careful not to exclude technology um, by the way that we communicate. Someone, I read on a blog recently, this person said, the thing that particularly bothers me is that as technology has become enmeshed in how our culture interacts socially, there is an implicit assumption that in order for people to remain interconnected, they must buy into the current technology to do so. There is considerable pressure to conform. If you don't have a mobile, email, Facebook account, whatever, you're increasingly tossed onto the discard pile of Luddism. The implicit value of immediate access to others and the resulting reduced respect for the time and priorities of others is hard-coded into much of our current communications technology. We want to say to people, if you don't want to use certain technologies, that's okay, and we're still happy to relate to you. Lastly, watch your heart. Um, you know, we are built, created to worship, and our tendency is to find things to worship other than God, and technology is one of those things that has a particular uh, attraction for our heart. Um, you know, Australians more and more, all these kind of research that goes on, Australians use social media more than um, any other nation. Uh, we are the, the biggest users of, of Facebook around. We look at Facebook as the first thing uh, we do when we wake up in the morning. We check our email before we go to, to sleep. Uh, time that previously might have been spent kind of reading the Bible is spent looking up useless websites. We've kind of We've got a real temptation to be ensnared by technology and for it to use us rather than for us to use it. I love this um, suggestion from, from John Piper. He says, are apps, and he's talking about the iPhone, a threat to God focus? Yes, he says, but it works both ways. Fight fire with fire. If you're reading your Bible on your computer or your smartphone or your iPad... The presence of the email app and the news app and the Facebook app threaten every moment to drag your attention away from the Word of God. It's true, but fight that. If your finger offends you, cut it off. Or use any other virtuous violence that sets you free to rivet your soul on God. But he says, don't take mainly a defensive position. Fight fire with fire. Why should we think of the Facebook app threatening the Bible app? Why not the Bible app threatening the Facebook app? and the email app, and the RSS feeder, and the news. Resolve that today you will press the Bible app three times during the day. No, five times. No, ten times. Maybe you will lose control and become addicted to the Bible. Again and again, get a two-minute dose of life-giving food. Man shall not live by Facebook alone. I love that. You know, like, why is it that Facebook has to have the monopoly on our attention? Imagine if we never got to Facebook anymore because we're always so busy reading the Bible. Eight principles. There's much more that could be said. Um, again, I'll throw up some more points online to help you uh, explore what that looks like. Now, let me just uh, walk you through some of the tools uh, as our third point that I've discovered um, have really helped me in the ministry that 
I'm doing and that I uh, would like to recommend to, to you. Just out of interest, who in this audience is uh, a Mac users? And who's using a PC? Did anyone put their hand up twice? Okay. Um, and who's using an iPhone? Isn't it incredible? I just was reflecting the other day how incredible it is. You know, five years ago, everyone had a different phone. Now you can look around, just about everyone is using the same mobile device. Steve Jobs, what have you done? I want to share with you um, 10 tools that I found really useful uh, for ministry, and then we'll finish up with the time for, uh, for questions. We'll just walk these, walk these through. The first one is a tool called Woofoo. I've been using this for six or seven years. Um, it's the best tool that I've found for creating forms and surveys and registration, um, uh, registration sign-up forms. And forms are incredibly useful, I've found, for ministry. So RSVPing for events, updating people's contact details, signing up for events. Um, I've been running these straw polls in our weekly e-news each week, just asking people a different topic. On average, how much time are you spending reading the Bible each week? Do you give money to Church by the Bridge? When was the last time you invited a friend to church? That kind of thing. We also do, and this is on the next slide, I think, a, um, a first impression survey. So when someone visits our church, um, we send them an email on the Monday, and it just says, hey, glad you're here. Here's some ways you can connect with us. But we also have down the bottom, P.S., um, we'd love to know how, how you experienced, what your experience of church was like with us over the weekend. Um, we care about the experience that you had, and we'd love you to share that with us. And so we send them this email. Um, this is an idea that I got from, um, from Nelson Searcy from his book, uh, Fusion, How to Turn First-Time Guests into Fully Engaged Members. Um, and so we've used surveys for... I mean, we've got hundreds of surveys that we've done over the last four years at Church by the Bridge, a great way of gathering information uh, and insights. The best thing as well, these guys um, offer a discount for churches. So churches get 50% off um, for using their software. So for a church um, my size, it's $14 a month um, to create as many forms as you want. And they have built-in PayPal connectivity, so you can have payment forms uh, built into that as well. So we're running a women's gingerbread event this week. All the payments for that came through this one system. So every form, survey, event, registration, we use Wolfoo. Secondly, um, Evernote. Uh, Let's just skip through a bit more, Mark. Oh, let's just go back just one sec. How good is this? I don't know how... I've been using um, Wolfoo. Just one next one along for a couple of years. I got this in the mail earlier this year. It was a handwritten letter from one of the guys who founded it. Now, I don't think I'm particularly, you know, special. I think they might have, would have sent this out to a lot of people. But they just sent this letter out. You know, my name's Alex. I'm one of the developers. You know, you know thanks again on behalf of the entire Wolfoo team for using it. You know, this is... Like, these guys are, are, are abs- you know, massive company now, but they've never lost sight of kind of customer service and caring for the people who are their core business. I've never sent them an email that hasn't been replied within six hours. Imagine how that goes, would go as a church. <laughs> how long does it take us to respond? These guys know how to look after the people. That's their core business. Okay, let's jump along. Evernote. Evernote is a, um, a brilliant tool, another one of those kind of San Francisco startups that um, enables you, as its tagline says, to remember everything. 
I dump everything in this Evernote. It's a free application. You can pay if you want to get more data in there, but you certainly don't need to for the amount of data that most of us use. It's kind of hard to describe. Uh, if we can go along to the next slide, Mark. No, let's go back. Must have taken that slide out last night. Evernote enables you to... It's like a, a file system where you can take notes, handwritten notes, audio notes, um, clippings from any kind of information that you have, and organise it in your own structure. But the beauty of Evernote is that you can clip any web page, a little bookmark that you put up in your web browser, and it saves that directly to Evernote. You can email a unique um, email to a unique email address, and that email will be sent into Evernote. So everything that I need to kind of collect, so I've got a tax receipt that I need to collect for the year, just email it straight into Evernote. Someone says, oh, can you promote this in our e-newsletter e during the week? Instead of me having to remember what did people want to put in e-news, I just send it into that email. In our email newsletter each week, I put together a list of five interesting links to help people in the Christian life. And this just come, these are just links that I discover kind of during the week. I clip that directly into Evernote as well. You know, people often send you an interesting link. Hey, you should check out this article about preaching. You don't have time to look at that article right now, so what do you do? You clip it straight into Evernote. It's a way of collecting all of your information in one place. Uh, Michael Hyatt, who's the publisher of Nelson, Thomas Nelson, um, and a guy called Ron Edmondson have written two really good series on how you can use Evernote as a pastor um, and how this kind of um, tool can be used for your ministry. Um, I really uh, recommend it to you. Um, I, you've got your PC? Okay. It's not, yeah, not just a Mac thing. It syncs up on all your phones and your, um, and your iPads as well, so all that information is available anywhere you need it. Thirdly, the Kindle. Now, I never thought I'd be saying this, um, but I got a, um, I got a Kindle um, for my birthday in September, and it's been the best thing that I ever discovered for reading. I've read more books in the last three months than I would have read in the last four years, um, the beauty of, I mean, there's so many good things to say about the Kindle. Buying books is easy. You get them straight away. Before I was buying books from the book depository, it'd take three, uh, three or four weeks to get there. Now I get it straight away, um, download that book. Secondly, um, you can sample any book for free. So you can just download a sample, read the first chapter or two, and if you like it or you don't like it, um, you can decide to delete it, or if you like, purchase the remainder of the book. Great way to discover, you know, how, many, how much money has been wasted on books that we've kind of ordered online and then discovered weren't actually what we were after. Buying books on the Kindle is much cheaper than it is, um, not always, but often, uh, than buying the printed version. Strangely, I don't know how this works, but it's, it's faster to read a book on the Kindle, partly because you're just kind of turning it with kind of your, your thumb. But I can read a book much faster than I ever could on this device than I could a printed book. And... It's hard to describe, but it's just a quicker way to do things. Best of all, Kindle allows you to highlight um, and take notes as you read, which you can do, obviously, in a printed book. But what I love about the Kindle is that any of these highlights that you make on the device are then available online. So you've got an online account that you log into attached to your Amazon account, and you can see all the books that you've purchased all the highlights that you've made in those books and all the notes that you took along the way. So then if you want to share those notes with other people, you don't have to kind of go back to your book and kind of hold the book open with your knee and kind of start typing, typing the notes in. 
they're all there. They're all online, ready for you to copy and paste. So it's really helpful for me as I've written reviews of books. But as you want to use kind of long quotes from people, um, share stories that you've discovered in a book, you just highlight that passage within the Kindle and then all of the notes that you've made about every book are easily accessible online. And so this is... Revel- I mean, I've been reading heaps about diff- you know, ministry and leadership and giving and it's just been a phenomenally useful tool and I recommend it to you. Planning Centre Online, next tool. Um, this is something that my church adopted earlier this year to manage, help us to plan out our services, to help us to manage our rostering, and to help us to manage our worship teams. Um, we've got six services, um, six rosters every week. Um, they're all different, um, and it's just because managing those services was, was an absolute nightmare. Um, this tool, again, you can kind of sign up for a free trial and work your way through it to see how it works. But it's a, a brilliant way of... Um, so you can set up templates for each of your services. So we have four templates, roughly, that we might use um, for a given uh, weekend service. Um, you can assign roles to people within your congregation. So LT preaches, he is able to lock up, he can play the drums, and he's a Bible reader. And then you can assign people to, um, to do those particular roles within a particular service. So you can see when there's a gap for Bible reading. You click on Bible reader and it'll tell you all the people within that service who are trained and able to read the Bible. People within your service are allowed to block out the dates that they're unavailable, so when they're going on holidays. Um, People in your worship teams are able to um, access all of the music uh, that your church sings, so all of the uh, chord charts and lead sheets, um, so they're able to rehearse kind of during the week. Um, there's a lot more. I mean, it's a really kind of uh, powerful tool. Uh, it's not easy in one sense to use, to, to start using, to, to get set up. It requires a little bit of setup. But G, it saves us a lot of time with Excel spreadsheets kind of going backwards and forwards and all that administrative time with chasing people up and are you available, are you not available? You know, I'm going on holidays. Oh, no, my holiday's cancelled. I'm not available anymore. All of this sits within the one system. What we're looking, though, at my church now at moving towards, and I'll probably be setting this up at the beginning of, um, of the new year, is on the next slide. It's a tool called uh, Elvanto, and it's created by a guy in, um, in Queensland. Just goes to a church in Queensland, and he decided that he'd create um, a great member database. Now, this is uh, a, a tool for managing all of the details, contact details for people within your church. But it's also combined all of the best features of Planning Centre Online. So it saves you from having your information in two different systems, which is the challenge as, as churches grow. So you can, uh, you've got all the contact details of people within your church, assign them to groups, do your attendance um, uh, reports to check out who's, um, who's been coming and who hasn't been coming, and keep all that information in one place, as well as all of the rostering within your church. Um, I think one of the helpful things about this tool, and it's true of a number of different um, uh, online tools, is the ability to set up people flows so that you work out a system when someone comes to your church and visitors, visits it for the first time, what processes or steps might you put in place to effectively follow that person up? So I've just been working on trying to articulate our system at the moment. This is a first cut. It's far more complicated than it needs to be. Um, it's actually not a, a diagram for a space shuttle. This is kind of our follow-up process. Um, I haven't talked about this with, uh, with Paul yet, but 
what, we're tr- what I'm trying to do is work out, well, someone comes for the first time, what happens? Well, on Monday they get a phone call saying, hey, it was great to have you here. The next step might be to send them that email. Hey, we're really glad you're here. As I mentioned on the phone, here's a few events that are coming up you might like to um, attend. We then wait and see whether they come back the next weekend. If they do come back the week- on the next weekend, this is our next step. We invite them along to our belonging course. If they don't come back the next weekend, we send them a follow-up email or a phone call saying, hey, we missed you on the weekend, hope everything's okay. If I can help with anything else, please don't hesitate to get in touch. This system, Elvanto, and there's a few other databases like it, enable you to automate that process a little bit so that, as much as possible, people don't fall through the gaps. And you're able to remember, oh, yeah, this person did visit us. I mean, how many times, you know, it's, it's, it's sad when people come to our churches and, um, you know, Tim was talking about this yesterday, people visit, uh, you know, frequently and then they, they don't come back again, or people leave our churches and we, didn't, we don't follow them up. This is a way just helping us to manage some of that that information. Again, you can sign up for this for a month for free, have a play around and see if it suits your purposes. But again, work out that system first. That's why I've kind of been mapping out this diagram so that we can make sure that our systems are clear before we adopt the tool. Uh, MailChimp uh, is a great free tool, free for um, the number of people that we as churches will be sending emails to, unless you've got more than 2,000 people in your church, uh, for sending out emails. We send out a weekly email newsletter each week to people at, uh, at church. This is a sample of, of the top half. Uh, and uh, we, this tool makes it really easy, not just for us to create the emails, but importantly, for us to report and understand how people are using these emails. So MailChimp enables us, it tells us all the details about how many people opened it, how many people opened it multiple times, how many people didn't open it, so it's pretty high, so I'm trying to work on that, understanding why people aren't opening our, our email newsletter, and then how many clicks people made within that email. It'll also tell you which links people clicked on. And so all this data, I think, is really important for under, understanding people within, our, um, within the church. Firstly, this, get, collecting this data helped me realise that not as many people read e-news as I thought they did. So we need to think about, well, is this really an effective means of communication? But secondly, I discovered that um, there are certain, um, I guess, issues that people in our church and perhaps in your church as well are experiencing um, or want help with because this is the kind of links that they're clicking on. I can guarantee that there will be high links on any... Um, so as I mentioned, we have five kind of resources for living the Christian life that are included in the e-news each week. I can guarantee there'll be a phenomenal number of clicks if any of those links is to do with sex, porn, or um, mental illness. So I'll put up links, you know, um, eight ways to help a depressed Christian, link clicks go through the roof. Eight ways that porn is damaging to the Christian life. Now I can put up, you know, uh, eight ways to to reach your community with Jesus. That'll get some, some clicks. But any, you know, this is an interesting insight as we kind of serve the people. You know, this is the stuff that they're looking for. They might not say it, but porn, sex, uh, and, um, and mental illness are issues that are, we know that they're true in our church, and this, I guess, in one sense just backs that up. But it's good to have that insight to see where people are, are itching. Um, who's using Bible software on their computers? Who's using Logos? Accordance? Something else? Bible works? Um, I've been using Logos for a while. Um, 
I think it's, it's brilliant. I don't actually really understand how to use most of it because um, it's just so complicated uh, and I haven't set aside the time to learn how to use this tool. But one of the best things that I love and, you know, uh, um, is the ability to buy books and commentaries and, um, per- and, and add them into your Bible package. So that I've kind of bought, you know, I was preaching on Matthew recently, so I bought, you know, a series, um, you know, which is Don Carson's series on, on Matthew and another commentary. And then as I prepared that work, I had the Bible passage up and I had those two commentaries kind of sitting side by side underneath it, um, enabling me to read and study at the same time. And you can purchase hundreds of, of different commentaries and books and build that into your library. So apart from all the tools, which I really can't explain that, that helpfully because I'm still trying to get my head around them. Uh, I think that the ability to connect in other resources really adds to your experience of of studying the Bible. Uh, Our last two to close. Google Apps. Or no, OmniFocus. Sorry, I skipped one. Um, As I said before, I'm a bit of a junkie for um, to-do lists and project management. I would have tried 20 or 30 apps over the last couple of years. Um, this is the one that I'm settling on uh, for the moment. Uh, ultimately, when it comes to um, to-do lists, and you look at kind of you know, David Allen's book or um, any other book, you know, it's probably the most popular category that's out there, project management. Uh, you need to find a system that works for you. What I love about OmniFocus is that it's not just about writing out a list of to-dos, because as we you know, looked at yesterday, the list of to-dos is endless, but a way of prioritising the things that you need to do but also setting up some project timelines. What needs to happen before something else needs to happen? So we're about to embark on a major kind of capital fundraising campaign, drop all the tasks um, into that and plan out by date when that's going to take place. I've got heaps on my website about the different tools that you might find useful for managing your to-do lists. Google Apps, uh, brilliant free tool for churches uh, for managing your email, calendar um, and documents. Great tool for us as a church, um, particularly for sharing our calendars with one another. Um, we have a year plan which is available, um, which we set up in Google, which is available on the church website. We have a staff only calendar, which is just stuff that we want to share within the staff. Um, we have a staff holidays calendar, the time that we're taking leave. We have a calendar where we list what we're going to be promoting in church news at our services each, each week. Um, and we have a bookings calendar for the different rooms within the church and how they're going to be um, set up. So Google Apps is a great tool for not having to worry about a lot of the technical aspects to your email, um, and it saved me a lot of time as I'm trying to set up um, some of these uh, systems for our team. And just finally, um, Google Reader. Uh, Pete, you may need to uh, have a look at this as an avid non-blog reader. I, um, I love blogs. Pete um, doesn't have time. I probably don't have time to do it either, but blogs are one of the best ways that I have been able to um, keep up with what's going on in the world and learn and grow, um, particularly in this area that, um, uh, of technology that I'm passionate about. Google Reader is basically a way of collecting, um, subscribing to particular websites, and then every time you log in, any update that's taken place on that website will be available in a list. So what it does, I've probably got 200 different websites that I subscribe to, and they're kind of set up in different categories. Um, I've got a Christian living category, I've got a technology category, I've got a favourites category. 
but it saves me from having to go to each of those 200 websites and think, oh, I wonder if there's something new that they've updated. I just subscribe to them, and in a quick glance, um, I can see all of the updates that have taken place across all of the websites that I'm interested in. Um, this is where I collect the links for the church e-news each week. Um, you know, I've got a Christian living category. You know, Tim Chalice and Justin Taylor and Kevin DeYoung and um, uh, David Murray, kind of all these guys are sharing great links. I'll kind of pull together the five best of those and then share them with the rest of the church. This has been a great tool for me in terms of learning and staying on top of what's going on and connecting with, uh, with other people. Um, I'm aware time is, uh, is tight. Um, let me finish there. What I'm going to do, um, I've, I've, as I mentioned before, I've put together a list of all of these resources and more up on my website the address should be up there on the final slide. There we go. Um, so every link kind of that I've mentioned, the different tools, uh, is up there for you to, to take a look at. And you're more than welcome to kind of follow up with me with any questions that you might have uh, about those or, or, or anything else. I think there might be time for some questions now, if you have any. Pete? Okay, so you've got a, a bunch of different people in your church. Some guys like Twitter, some guys like Facebook, some guys will only do SMS, someone only does email. How do you combat that whole, I only do my version of communication by my version of technology thing? I think, I think the lowest common denominator is important. So I think some people will be on Facebook, some people will be on Twitter. Just about everyone will now be on email. So you can use email to feed the majority of information to people. That's a, a medium that people are familiar with. People might say, I don't want to receive anything um, via that channel. I kind of say, well, you know, too bad. Um, <laughs> you receive you know, everything else through email. I can understand if you don't want to set up these other channels, but email is kind of how we operate. Um, and then the key, once you've kind of set that kind of baseline, is to work out, well, what's our strategy going to be for people who are on Facebook and what's it going to be for people on Twitter? But I think in our culture, email is a bit of a you know, non-negotiable. Everyone uses email for everything. Can I, can I just want, ask one follow-up question about Facebook? And that is, I see a lot of Christians, and the only thing they post is Bible passages. Um, have you got a comment about that? What do you think the, the value is about that? I haven't seen any of those Christians. I'm always bemoaning the fact that the Christians that I know never talk about Jesus. So, um, yeah, I, I, I think, um, you know, the first part of me thinks good on them. <laughs> I can see why it could potentially be annoying. I think what we, and this is what I'm trying to do, is to train people. They're spending so much time on Facebook, Christians just as much as non-Christians. Let's train them to use this medium for God's glory. So let's train them to use Facebook to engage with people, to encourage people, to love people, and show them, hey, this is great that you want to make Jesus known, but it goes far beyond just kind of posting Bible verses. Here's some other ways that you might be able to, to use this. Hey, our church is posting up some videos um, about Jesus. Why don't you share that video with your friends? Um, that's another way that you could engage with with your people on Facebook. Just on that note, um, earlier in the conference, I think it was Mikey said, we should be going where people are thinking, going to the marketplace. Mm. Um, do you think there's a place for even organised groups to be devoted, devoting a lot of their time to online evangelism? One thing that I realise is a huge opportunity is that there's no, there's very few resources online for quality Christian content for people who are exploring the Christian faith. On many of our websites, including my own, there isn't a clear presentation of the gospel or addressing some of the apologetic questions that people who aren't Christians might have. 
I'm yet to find a good, um, not too long video that, it's, that you could send to a friend and say, oh, here's, um, here's a brief video about why, what Christians believe and why you should become uh, a Christian. There's plenty of long sermons, but are people going to sit around and listen to a 45-minute sermon? Unlikely. So what I think we can, I think there's a huge opportunity for us to create some resources, and I've been trying to do this with some video producers recently, that create a viral, you know, for instance, creating a viral video that Christians wouldn't be ashamed to send on to their friends that would get that kind of ball rolling and say, oh, here's a cool two-minute video about why it's good to be a Christian and why you should become one, or whatever that, you know, kind of wording might be. Because at the moment, there's very few resources you can send on to your friend um, who is exploring the Christian faith. How do you manage, uh, or I've thought through, the personable aspect of, you know, evangelism versus the easy road, hey, I'll send them a link to something that I think might be helpful so I don't have to speak to them myself. Mm. Um, And also in the context of church, like just meeting up with people versus check out my Facebook page or my blog or whatever. Mm. I think it's, it's not either or, so we can, we, we, what we're doing is, is both. Um, what we, you know, like that research from, uh, from Mark McCrindle has found, people feel very comfortable spending time online. So what I want to do with that comfort factor is to provide people with as much resource and information as, as we can to help them explore this on their own that might lead them to become more and more comfortable with coming into our church. I mean, I shared this story, um, uh, shared this story frequently about this lady who kind of visited um, our church, walked past on a Saturday afternoon, asked what was going on. She asked if she could come to church um, and um, where she could buy a ticket. And we said, you don't have to buy a ticket to come to church. You know, it's, it's free. And she said, oh, is, um, is it reserved seating? Um, and we said, no, you can just kind of sit where, wherever you want. And so she had all these misperceptions about what church looked like. And so I want to kind of use the, the, the online as much as possible um, to prov- help people to feel as comfortable as they can to explore as much as they can about the Christian faith um, until they're ready to come and, and join us at a, at a physical gathering or a small group study or whatever that might be. So I don't think it's never going to replace, and it shouldn't ever replace. There's a church in America that does online communion. If you don't want to go into a church, you can kind of partake in communion online just if you can't be bothered to get out of your seat. Um, you know, that's just, you know, stupid. Um, but there's lots of um, good ways that we continue to help people to do that exploring on their own. This might have to be the last one, but here we go. Uh, gaining visibility on the search engines, Google, for example, we're having a problem. Yeah, uh, the, the best way to be, I mean, there's a lot, to, search engine optimization is a whole industry, and this is about how you get your website to be viewed within Google. Uh, I, there's a lot of, um, I guess, kind of plugins that you can add to your website that can help you to optimize that content um, so that Google can find it. Um, and so depending on the website that you have um, and the content management system that you're using, I can send you some suggestions for what that looks like. Um, and because, yeah, you're right, there's no point having a website if people can't find it. But there's lots of tools out there that can help promote your website to make sure that um, it can be found. But in terms of Google, the best way to make sure that um, it's up in the rankings is to keep it regularly updated. Because Google rates websites highly that have their content updated regularly. If it's not updated, Google thinks your website is dead and irrelevant. So just by posting every week, as I was suggesting before, you're helping Google to find that content. Thanks, Steve. Now, it seems like there's lots more questions, so go on to the website, send, drop Steve an email and ask him your questions. That'd be good. Thanks. Thank you.